Hello, everyone, and welcome to Raw Recovery, a Trudging Together podcast. My name is Dion Miller. I will be your host today. And uh, you know, um, today we have brought on a, a guest. She, she's actually in my home group, and I've been wanting to ask her for a little while. Um, but between illnesses and everything that's been going on, it's been tough to really, you know, connect with people. And um, so we finally got a chance. But we have to remember that all this stuff gets done in God's time. Um, you know, sometimes God says no, <laughs> like he did last week. You know, Mary and I were supposed to do this last week, but I had a bunch of staples in my stomach from surgery and we just couldn't quite do it. So, um, Mary, welcome to the show. Thank you for taking your time this morning to, to spend it with us. Well, I'm honored to be here, Dion. Um, um, yeah, uh, I've been in I've been in that group for months now and, and I love the group. Um, but I love every time that you talk because I learn something. Um, I, I, I like what you have to say because it's thoughtful, it's intentional, um, and that's what I'm excited about today for us. So what I'm going to do now is I'm just going to hand the show on over to you. You can start wherever you wherever you choose. It is your show. So, ladies and gentlemen, welcome, Mary O. Well, hello, everyone. Again, my name is Mary Ozanic. I'm an alcoholic and an addict. Um, I was drawn to the name of the programming, Trudging Together. Mm. When I, I, I had a, um, an awakening when I learned what the word trudging actually means. Let's hear about it. To walk with purpose. In mm -hmm. the big book, at first, I misunderstood the word trudge. It yep. sounds like I'm walking in mud wearing concrete boots. It does. But that's not what trudging is. Nope. It's to, it's to have a goal and to walk with purpose. That's it. Thank and, you, Mary. And I appreciate the fact that you appreciate my the shares I have in meetings, Dion, because I think they could... I. I I, I would like to think that they come from a place of deep honesty. That's where that's exactly it though, is I love people that are just 100% honest with themselves because we tend to say things differently. We tend to have, you know, like what you were saying with trudging, everything I do is intentional and it has purpose behind it because God is making the calls for him. He's calling, he's making the shots, right? He's calling the shots. Yes. And I'm here to listen. Um, and if my if I'm not open-minded and honest with myself, I may miss those things. They'll go right by me. And and for myself, like so many of your listeners, recovery is the first and foremost thing in my life. Yep. And and I personally rely on the honesty of others to get me through a day well lived in recovery. Mm -hmm. I I need I, I don't just I, I need to hear the struggles as well as the successes and accomplishments. Yep. Because every day in recovery is not necessarily a good day. Absolutely. Yeah, you can have bad days in recovery. Um, I mean, I'll admit that you know I've had I've had some days that were worse than my best days drinking, but it, you know I didn't find a good reason, good enough reason to drink. Um, 
thankfully I had a, a couple of set of tools in my bag by that point to work with. And I can say, yeah, hey, yeah. I am my sponsor for that. Yeah. And Dion, you know, we can work to nurture a spiritual condition on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. But then we have to get up out of bed and go to work. And just, you know, just like you had a wrench in the, in the works the other day with your surgery, two weeks ago, I was driving home from the Sunday morning meeting at Dragon's Den and I got rear ended mm -hmm. and my car was totaled. Mm -hmm. So we have to learn to deal with things yep. in, in recovery. Yeah, And so I'll, I often share, honestly, where I am on a given day. Yeah, yeah. And the truth is, Dion, I do struggle sometimes. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I remember when I, fir when I first met you face-to-face. -face. We were, I think it was the 4th of July party at Dragon's Den. Yes. And you and I were both going through something. We had anxiety because there was a bunch of people around. And I remember you and I talking about that. Yes, uh, social anxiety. I, I guess my, my story probably starts with social anxiety, even when I was a little kid. Yep just you know four or five years old in kindergarten mm -hmm. having to learn to talk and play with neighbor kids yeah and schoolmates yeah i can remember feeling claustrophobic mm -hmm. as a little kid mm -hmm. Like it, like I was in some kind of a bubble or something, mm -hmm. and not really a part of the world around me. Almost like I was observing the world rather than being a part of it. Yeah. And I remember I remember wanting to tell my mom that I didn't feel well, that something was wrong. Mm hmm. But I didn't have the vocabulary. Yeah, it comes out as you know when we're kids, it comes out. My tummy hurts. Um, this hurts. You know, because we don't know how to describe it yet. We're naive. We don't know. Right. And, and to think that we suffer ang social anxiety as a little kid. Mm-hmm. But I'm, I'm just kind of, I never really thought of that this way until just now, Dion, to be honest wow, with you. That's cool. That's, that's fantastic. You know, if, if, you know, that's what I love about this podcast is... Everybody walks away learning something, you know, that, and that's what it's about is, is self-discovery and getting closer to God. Um, they're the only two things I really need to maintain. Yes. Um, and then continuing, I was also bullied as a little kid. Mm -hmm. first, I was in first grade and okay. the third a third grade boy bullied me. Okay. He would push me down and rub dirt in my eyes. <laughs> and 
And the most hor horrific thing he did is he sat on me and tore the pictures out of my Black Beauty horse book. Oh, man. And, you know, so I was in first grade and I went yeah. crying. Mm -hmm. And my all my parents said was just stay away from him. Yeah. My parents didn't teach us a lot of coping skills, Dion. Mm -hmm. Or how to I, set I, boundaries and, and how to deal with your feelings, yeah. Uh, I, I was the oldest of eight kids. Wow. And, and my memories of childhood are my parents always working. Yeah, yeah. You know, did you did you run the house? No, mom mom always had housework to do, cooking, okay. cleaning, ironing. Okay, got it. And and dad was at work all day long. Yep. And then mom, it, it was one of those situations where mom would say, you know, go outside and play. You're underfoot. Mm-hmm. And then when dad came home from work, he was too tired to really engage with us it was mm -hmm. more of a leave dad alone he just got home from work yeah so i i never really even learned to communicate my feelings or that my feelings mattered yeah and you know my parents had a saying it was children are seen not heard that was the that was the yeah. and we say it all sorts of different ways but we you know i grew up I was born 1970, and by the time the 80s came around, tough love was the thing, you know, which was horrible. Um, thanks, Phil Donahue. <laughs> A lot of people don't remember Phil Donahue. So, but yeah, I understand that. I never felt like I could go to my parents and be honest with them about how I was actually feeling, because when I right. did, they made fun of me. They so made fun of you, or they didn't know how to respond. Yeah. Yeah. And so then as the years go by and I, I I'm not developing or being taught, you know, because that in school it's you know, it's always listen to the teacher, mm -hmm. be quiet, behave yourself, and being the oldest, there were a lot of act your age. You're the mm -hmm. oldest. You should know yeah. better. Okay. You know, why should I know? How should I know better? I, that, and I'm yeah, that's years old. <laughs> that's a big expectation for us. Yeah, when you told me you were the oldest, I figured there was going to be some kind of unreasonable expectation. I just, and, I kind of knew it. that. That's yeah. it. At your age, you should know better. Be an example. Yeah. Yeah. And here, you know, you think you're doing well. But it's you're being taught that you're not doing good enough. Mm -hmm. um, a powerful influence for me is when I was in eighth grade, start okay. of high school, which is okay. a, a, a terrible time of great anxiety. Hated it. Our parents never talked to us about going to high school mm -hmm. and expectations. And, you know, it was. I was scared to death to start high school, mm -hmm. but my, I had two older cousins mm 
Okay. One was 10 years older than me. The other one was eight years older than me. Okay. They, they went away to college and came back hippies. Okay. <laughs> they, they had long hair. They mm -hmm. had rock and roll records. And they were smoking pot. Okay. And my, our family, of course, the family dynamics, everyone was horrified, right? Sure. Their, yeah. parents, their parents, my parents, you know, it was the Vietnam era. Okay. There yeah. Was so, there was so much angst mm -hmm. among families. You know, um, my brothers and sisters were almost afraid of my cousins and disgusted by them. Wow. But the truth is, I was drawn to them. Oh, yeah. You bet. And I don't know the, the whole hippie lifestyle. You know, my two brothers grew up as what what you would call a redneck. Okay. They hated hippies. Mm -hmm. They were they hated uh, the Vietnam War protesters. And I I was drawn to that lifestyle. Sure. It was the first time I smoked pot and took speed, white cross speed. Wow. Was with my cousins the summer before I was a freshman in high school. Okay. And then, then high school starts and I find it, it took a couple years, but our crowd started to go to keggers. Mm-hmm beer keggers at the old lake and booze and drugs became a part of my social cycle okay they helped me feel like i fit in yep. like i had something to share that was worth listening to yep i know for me it made me feel like in a sense that i was home that I had finally met my people after years and years of looking. That's how I felt. Yes, but you know, there was also for me a disconnect okay. because I was a very good student. I was an A plus student. Mm -hmm. And so there were, there was a disconnect between what smart kids did and what the not so smart kids did mm -hmm. this is back in the day where classes were divided into a and b groups yeah based on mental acuity remember those tests I they do. Would give us yep and th th this this could be a fascinating exploration but i was in the b class the smart class okay hanging around with the a class mm-hmm because I thought the people in the B class who read all the time were boring. <laughs> <laughs> and I probably throughout high school was a, a heavy user of drugs and booze compared to a lot of my friends that I was hanging out with. Yeah. And then as I, I ended up being sent to a summer camp 
for at-risk youth. Okay. It, it was like an outdoor, uh, outward bound kind yeah, of something. Yeah, that's what came to my hand. My head was outward bound. Okay. And it probably helped change my life. I was still smoking pot. Okay. But I, I ended up going to college. And the skills I learned in business mm. helped propel my career. Fantastic. My, my career background is the marketing and event production of, of entertainment events and professional sports in arenas and stadiums. Wow. That's cool. I didn't know that about you. That's neat. Yeah. What, what happened was after college... I took a job. Mm -hmm. it, it, it was geographic escape because okay. I was in love with someone who didn't love me back. Okay. I took a job as a ranch cook in Montana. So, okay. I, and I moved there from Southern Illinois to start a life over again. Okay. I, I couldn't be close to this man and I had to stop myself from driving past his house, seeing mm -hmm. him with other women. So, yeah, I took a, a remote job on a ranch. While I was there, I went to a concert, and I met the band Jethro Tull. Nice. And I ended up getting on a semi-truck with their lighting equipment and uh -huh. went all over Canada with them. How fun! <laughs> Which, in, in a long roundabout way, is how I ended up working in the entertainment business in the St. Louis market area. Okay. Did you go throw it back in his face that you were hanging out with Ian Anderson? Or I'm sorry? <laughs> Did you go back to that boy and throw it in his face that you were now hanging out with Ian Anderson and everybody? No. My, okay. <laughs> my interest in him waned. Good. Good. Um. And even in the entertainment business, I was considered a heavy user. That's a, that's a big thing. I mean, because we're talking about the height of rock and roll, including drugs and alcohol. That's right. why a lot of those people are sober now because of that era. Um, that era, you either... Or sober today, or you're dead. Yeah. Or you got out of the business and somehow managed to save yourself. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I could sit here and tell rock and roll stories all night. Wow. I believe but it. What 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 happened? What what happened was Ralston, the name of the building was the Checker Dome. And it was owned by Ralston Purina, Checkerboard Square. Mm -hmm. And it was home of the St. Louis Blues NHL hockey team. 25,000 seats. You know, we had the circus come in. Yeah. Concerts, ice capades. It was an extraordinary way to spend my youth. But then the building was sold. Mm -hmm. Ralston, the new owners got rid of the management company, which included me <laughs> and i ended up taking a job as director of marketing 
at a horse racing track. Interesting. In in the St. Louis market area as well. Okay. The drug and alcohol use in professional sports puts rock and roll to shame. Oh, really? I, I didn't know that. It, it does. But you've okay. heard enough stories, newscasts about, I mean, people throwing their careers away. Daryl Strawberry. Mm -hmm. Yeah. For one ex classic example. It's a very good example threw away a multi-million dollar career. Mm -hmm. um, as the years went by, my drinking and alcohol, drinking and drug use continued to get worse. Okay. It was in horse racing that I was introduced to free base cocaine, <sighs> where we cooked it ourselves in test mm -hmm. tubes. Yeah. I went, because I had good insurance and I was good at my job, management supported my attempts to try to sober up. Okay. I went to rehab several times. Okay. At the bitter end, I, I lost my job. Okay. I was let go. And... The general manager said to me, you know, when he when he was firing me, he it was heartbreaking. Sure. To see a solid individual throw their life away. Yeah. But they couldn't support me any longer. Yeah. He, he said he didn't know which Mary was going to show up for work on a given day. Yeah. Ouch. I couldn't be depended on anymore. And one of the most hurtful things someone ever said to me was one of my sisters said, you can't be trusted anymore, Mary. I remember hearing that myself. Unfortunately, it didn't stop me. No, because by the time I was so far gone. I... I couldn't see a way out. Mm -hmm. And I, I was basically asked to leave Southern Illinois by my family. Okay. They couldn't watch it any longer. Mm -hmm. So I tried geographic escape. Okay. And I ended up in Colorado in Fort Collins with an, okay. old, with an old friend from high school. But it turns out she was a morning drinker. She would drink screwdrivers in the morning. Okay. That's how I learned about morning drinking. Yep. And my life just continued to plummet. Mm -hmm. And I ended up finding a job with another old friend in Denver. Okay. And they, they named me director of marketing for an architectural firm. Ah. And I was, I managed to pull myself together enough that I lasted, you know, um, a year or so in that job. Okay. But in the beginning of it, its offices were on 
that's off the 16th Street Mall yeah. in downtown Denver. And I went looking for OxyContin. And instead of finding that, I was introduced to heroin. Yep. That's what you'll get and at the mall. Was, that was the beginning of the end. Okay. We call this a lull. Okay. Well, <laughs> yeah, so that was the beginning of the end. I thought that was a good stopping point. This is where you edit me out, right? Oh, I can edit it out or not. Did you want me to end the recording now? Oh, no. Uh, okay. Then keep on going. Okay. Yeah, if you need a second, that's okay. I'm not going to cut any of this out. It's conversation. Um. I don't know, Dion, when enough becomes enough. Yeah. But under the lash of drug use, I was driven to homelessness. Yep. And I think because I am a girl, I managed to find a couch. Okay. Right here and there where people would still let me spend a night or two. Yeah. And that went on, believe it or not, for a couple of years. Mm -hmm. I became a thief, a home invader. Yeah. All the behaviors to support drug use. Yeah. That's all I was living for. Mm -hmm. The nightmare of every day. Having to get money, having to get the drugs, doing mm -hmm. the drugs. It's a full-time job. It's a full-time job. Monitoring mm -hmm. the drugs so you don't run out. Yeah. The tragedy of sitting at bus stops with no money nowhere to go it, it it's tragic it is it's a it's you know i i have been there myself too and you feel very very hopeless you just you don't I, and you can become very stagnant too um you know I, you know i i bummed around in littleton so i called myself an upper class bum but and what I used to do is uh, I used to hang out in uh, laundry rooms in oh. apartment buildings. That was my favorite because it was always warm in there and nobody nobody bugged me because the laundry room, everybody's asleep, you know? Yeah. Uh, you know, that's it's funny you should say that. My place would be bathrooms of hotels. Good idea. <laughs> where you could sit in there and I could smoke my drugs. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and it, it's rare that anyone's going to come into a hotel bathroom, at, you know, in the middle of the night. Exactly. It was easy enough to sneak in so the front desk didn't see you. Yep. And, Dion, somehow, in the bitter, bitter end. Mm-hmm. 
I found, I guess, some of the deepest honesty I I ever could. And I see, I was going to AA meetings during this time. Okay. Because because of my being in re- rehab before. Sure. I had been introduced to the twelve steps. Okay. So you so I, you knew. I, I, I knew about the 12 steps and I knew that there were people getting clean and sober because of that. Mm-hmm. But I was still using and going to meetings. Okay. I wanted something to change. Yeah. But I couldn't understand how it was going to change. Yeah. And I admit that I would I, I'd go in for the last 15 minutes of a meeting to hang around after the meeting and bum five bucks from somebody for a pack of cigarettes. Mm-hmm. But at the bitter end, I went to someone in AA and told them the truth about my drug use. Wow. And... I ended up, there used to be a federal government program called Access to Recovery. Yeah, yep. And it was a grant for people Mm -hmm. to go to treatment who didn't have insurance. Yep. And so I got to go for two months to Harmony Foundation. Wow. Yeah, beautiful, beautiful location. I love Harmony. When I first arrived there, my the first words to my counselor were, God refuses to kill me. I I wanted to die. Yeah. yeah. But I never attempted suicide because I'm too rational an individual <laughs> and I knew I would I would not fail. Yeah, exactly. That's why I wanted to be sure. Mm-hmm. I can barely remember the first couple of weeks in, in treatment. But gradually something started to gel. Mm-hmm. I... I would sit in the front yard of Harmony and look up at the mountains there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, you have to see Harmony to believe it. You there, do. It's at the base of the entrance mm-hmm. to Rocky Mountain National Park. I, yeah, it's beautiful. And I would look up to the, to the mountains and I remembered the biblical phrase, I lift up thine eyes unto the hills from where my strength cometh mm-hmm. and that's when I started to trust that the Lord or the universe or a higher power was capable of working in my life also yeah and I also learned in the middle of the night from one of the counselors Jeremiah twenty nine eleven. Okay. Where God says to us, I know the plans I have for you, to prosper you, not to harm you, to give you 
hope in yeah. the future. Yeah. I didn't have that, but I trusted the scripture. Okay. And it's been, I'm, I'm almost, I'm seven years almost off. Wow. And close to 10 years off the, the narcotics. Wow. And, and alcohol. Yeah, yeah. Was that, was getting rid of things, was that kind of a process for you? Because um, I dealt with alcohol. I stayed away from the drugs because I already knew I had a predisposition. I already knew that if I did cocaine too much, you know, when my friends came over on a Wednesday night ready to do coke, I knew it was over with, right? I'm like, dude, I have to work tomorrow. And I, and I kicked him out. Um, so did you I, kind of take that in stages? How did you, I'm kind of curious. Um, I would say probably not. Okay. Um, I drank and used myself into unemployability. Yeah. Okay. I was no longer capable of going to work. Mm -hmm. I, I pretty much got off everything at Harmony. Okay. And I had almost five years clean and sober off everything. Mm, okay. It, it, this is where the story starts to get a little mixed up because okay. I went through a phase of using, relapsing, getting okay. sober again. I'm not sure. I had to stay away from all of it. Yeah. So what happened uh, after you were in Harmony? So you spent two months there, which I think is fantastic. Some of us need more than 28 days. I was in a program. I was there for a year because I needed it. Um, I was just going to say that. It's, and it's because so many of us, we get out of, I, I'm one of those. I could live in a treatment center. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I could live there. Yeah. To me, it was the greatest, most profound relief that it was over. Yeah. That, you know, the drugs and alcohol, it was over. But you, here's where I'll tell you something. Okay. I was stone clean and sober. I had about five years. Okay. And one Sunday afternoon, I was at a friend's house who was in recovery. Mm -hmm. And I was on their computer waiting for a website to download. Mm -hmm. I was sitting at their desk. And you're not going to believe this. Yes, you will. <laughs> there was a can of air duster sitting there. Okay. And I could see the warning label. 
that said intentional misuse by concentrating these fumes can lead to death. And do you know that my first thought, Dion, is there's something good in here? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do understand that. And, you know, so, that thing. and so I tried it, and then I found out there was a thing called whippets, even where oh. you can use and, and and the whole process reminded me of nitrous oxide mm-hmm. yeah. and how much I used to I used to know a a, a soil scientist. Okay. And, and we would go to his laboratory at night and hook up a bunch of tubes to like fifty five gallon drums, you know, tanks of nitrous. Uh huh. And have nitrous parties. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that was that led to my final decline. Okay. That was the last time. Okay, just being honest, the whole thing about inhalants, mm-hmm. it was the final straw. I accumulated five DUIs in less than two years. Wow. And it was from sitting in parking lots mm-hmm. doing inhalants until yep. I was unconscious. Mm-hmm. And somebody would call the police, you know, report. And, and so they pass out in the car and yeah. They, they would take me to call an ambulance and they would come give me my DUIs in the emergency room. Oh, that's kind of them. So I ended up, I spent 2015 in jail. Okay. And that, that was, I count that as my first year of recovery. Absolutely. Because people who don't know, they, you, you, you can, I would go into the bathroom of the women's pod and they'd be smoking meth in there. Yeah. Like, how did you get this in here? I mean, Mm -hmm. we all know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we do. But I took advantage of everything. I went to all the in-house 12-step meetings Mm -hmm. and the religious studies, the Bible studies. And somehow when I came out, Dion, I was done. It wow. was over. I can feel the freedom in your words right now. I know what it's like walking out of out of jail after a stint. And uh, so I could imagine that it'd be even more reinforced with what you were feeling, that it, you know, you were still done. You know, that's con- I, I, that's conviction. That's what I was looking for. And surrender. Mm-hmm. Wow. And I I ended up going to sober living. Okay. Um, Mary's Hope sober homes. I, I love Mary's know. Hope. Yes. I don't know if you know Mary. I do know she, Mary. She's a remarkable individual. I, I, yes, she is. I, I I stayed in sober living. For five years. Yeah, I believe I believe it. That she has done such a great job. 
I tell you, I know a lot about sober livings in Colorado, and it's one of the only places that I actually refer to um, because they just they do it correctly. And I'm, yeah. I'm just going to keep it at that. Uh, so, wow. But, but cool. I think, I think for me, Dion, I was so far gone, so far down the ladder. Mm-hmm. I, I, I needed help. Yeah. Start over. Mm -hmm. I needed the structure. Yep. And I tell people, I when I work with newcomers in the program mm -hmm. who are just getting out of treatment or jail, I, yeah. I strongly recommend that they try sober living to get some time under their belt. Heck, heck yeah. Uh, even if you're going to reintegrate back into your family, um, yeah, sober living will help you get to a point where you are now a member of society. And that's really what we're going for. Um, you know, we, cause we have to re we have to restructure. And I think a lot of alcoholics hate that word structure. Um, uh, I love structure though. Uh, and, that's why I love AA so much because there's structure. structure and, right. And discipline. Yeah. Yeah. I used to hate that word too. Me too. But now I understand it differently. <laughs> Um, some, a couple of important things when I was willing to listen, mm -hmm. you know, to sit and listen in AA to what people were sharing, I heard a young man once say, he told the story about how he used to get off work, go to the dope house, go to the liquor store, come home by himself to an empty apartment. Mm -hmm. with all the blinds drawn shut and have a party in his head. Yep. And that was the first time I heard someone describe the fantasy world that we mm -hmm. can live in. Yep. That there's a safety, even though it's, it's, it's fan, it's, it's a fantastical existence. It's not mm -hmm. real. Yeah. It's where our ego imagines we have certain jobs. The big book talks about it. It does. Wishful thinking that we are plucked off our bar stool and miraculously <laughs> land in a big job. Yeah. When I first went, went into sober living, yeah, I was a former director of marketing. I, I, my first job back was for Goodwill sorting hangers mm -hmm. for minimum wage. And yeah. I could only do it part time mm -hmm. because I needed to go to meetings two and three times a day. Yeah. No. But sober living afforded me that opportunity. Absolutely. And then gradually, I I, I met, um, I I I referred to him as a spiritual mentor mm -hmm. that took that took me through the twelve step work. Yeah. And something 
shifted, Dion. Something changed. Mm-hmm. And I think it's the start of the promises. Mm. Where a big one for, for me is that we will not regret the past nor wish to close the door on it. And yep. we will see how our experience can benefit others. Yes, absolutely. I, I, I have a broad range of people in my community. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm drawn to individuals who had really low bottom experiences. Yeah, me too. Homelessness, mm -hmm. prison. Yep. Because I have experience I can share with them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I know in the, in the big book, it says no matter how far down the scale we have gone, we will see how our experience can help others. Yes. And I think that I kind of have an advantage on that because I've been homeless. I've been in prison. I've been in, you know, so, you know, I think the further down the scale we went, the more we actually have to offer. We have more experience. Uh, you know, not everybody experiences homelessness in this process. Um, right. But I believe we in a housing first situation. I really believe in that. Yes, we can paint our canvas with brush strokes. Yeah, across, thank you. Across social groups. Mm -hmm. But then also there's depth of feeling as well. Absolutely. So what's it like for you now? Oh, she had to take a drink of coffee first. This is going to be good. I'm kidding. <laughs> Probably shouldn't set it up that way. I'm sorry. Um, it was probably into my third, even fourth year of recovery. That's how I long I, I, I personally devoted myself. Mm-hmm. Um, I was working, I, I went to full time at Goodwill, mm -hmm. but it, you know, it was, for me, it was an easy job. I didn't have to worry about profit. Yeah. I didn't have to go to meetings and I could concentrate on my little job. Yeah. It was good for my ego. Yes. To have, a, I call it a, a little job. But it, it mattered. Somebody it sure had to sort the hangers. Yeah. Work's got to be done. And it started getting to a point around the third or fourth year. By now, I was also a house, a house manager. Yeah. I was, that I doesn't surprise me. <laughs> I started, I was comfortable and rooted solidly enough in recovery that mm -hmm. I felt I could it was safe for me to branch out more into the real world. Good. And I started, I, I personally see two different therapists 
besides mm -hmm. AA. One therapist is, her specialty is somatic therapy, okay. which helps look at deep-rooted PTSD problems. Yep. Like, it, for example, in, in my, during my using, I was once mugged and beaten and left in an alley and my drugs stolen from me. Jesus. Uh, unresolved no. mm -hmm. trauma. Yeah. My second, my se and we do artwork around oh, yeah. therapy issues. Yeah, cool. And then my second therapist, it's rooted in music. Okay. Uh, the group is for musicians and artists. And I, I, I qualify for the group because of my background in the entertainment the, uh, yeah. business. Yeah. But at a meeting one night, when I was, I, I had been thinking, you know, I'm I, that I was kind of ready to go back into the real world. I was at mm -hmm. a meeting and someone shared and I really liked what they had to say. So after the meeting, I started talking to him and asked, and it turns out he's, he was a chaplain for a hospice agency. Okay. And, and he, he gave me his business card. Uh-huh. And a couple months after that, I, I kept that card. Mm -hmm. And when I felt I was ready, I looked up their website and they coincidentally happened to have a job opening for volunteer coordinator. Wow. That sounds somebody's alley. And so I applied for the job and they try. I, I told him the truth, Dion. Yeah. My back, my background check was not was not going to be pretty. Yep. I told him the truth about everything, and they were, the the organization. Is based on Christian principles. Okay. And they gave me a chance. They trusted me. Yeah. Wow. And and I've been excelling in my work there. And also in recovery, I went back to school when I was 58 years old wow. and I earned wow. my bet, my bachelor's degree. And then as soon as I finished, I, I graduated magna cum laude and I followed that with my work in uh, graduate school. And this okay. past May, I graduated with my master's degree. Wow. In in community health science. Congratulations. Wow. And I'm, now, I'm in the process. I've already submitted my application for a PhD program in health and behavioral sciences. Yeah. Because, you know, something important, Dion, for people early in recovery mm -hmm. like, is you got to find something productive and meaningful yes. to do with the time you've got yes. on your hands absolutely because you know like like you mentioned earlier in this podcast it's a full-time job to be an addict and an alcoholic mm -hmm. 
And when you're not drinking or using it anymore, you've got a lot of time on your hands. You do. And I found being accountable was what it's what kept me going, you know, Hey, you know, I, you know, I would tell my wife where I was going at all times, you know, just to be accountable, let people know, you know, I got a sponsor so that I could be accountable with them and not put it on my wife, you know, and I took direction from him. And if I wasn't following direction, then I call, you know, and he would help me out along. Um, and it took a while. It, I, I don't think I was ready to really start helping people till I was about two and a half years sober. I mean, yeah. I had a lot of work to do. I, I, I so understand that. I just, I didn't feel like I could, you know, because if I'm going to do something, then I, I want the depth and weight. I want it to mean something. Um, whether I get credit for it or not is not what I'm going for. I'm going for the joy of being a part of something beautiful. Yes. Now, um, I have a couple of phrases on my bulletin board in front of me. Let's hear them. And one of them is from the Stoics. And okay. I talk to people, you know, with really low bottoms about this. Sure. But it's only after you've lost everything are you free to do anything. Yeah. There can be a gift from the universe in turning to face our lives in recovery and be open to all possibility. Mm -hmm. You know, to sober living, to going back to school, to starting yeah. a business. And something that I work on is I, I suffer from anxiety and depression. Okay. Generalized anxiety. Okay. So I, I work a lot on trying to cultivate a steady mind independent yes. of circumstances. Absolutely. And I, for me, I find Buddhist practices help with that. Oh, okay. But I also go to Catholic Mass. Mm -hmm. I have a good friend who's a Lutheran minister. Sure. And, um, I'll read you one of my favorite, most important things that I recall each day. Okay. It's, it's just a short little meditation. Okay. This is the beginning of a new day. God or the universe has given me this day to use as I will. I can waste it or I can grow in its light by being of service to others. But what I do with this day is important because mm -hmm. I will, I will have exchanged a day of my life for it. Yes. When tomorrow comes, today will be gone forever. And I hope I will not regret the price I paid for it. Wow. And I really understand that too. As you know, well, you know, it, and that comes back to, you know, yesterday's successes and sitting on, on today's, you know, today's sobriety for yesterday's success. Every day is another day that I get to put forth a little bit more effort or a lot of effort, depending on how I'm doing, you know, um, yes. but really, go ahead. Um, that, that's how I 
evaluate my day at the end of the day before I go to sleep at night. Mm -hmm. And I monitor throughout the course of the day. Have I spent my time well? Yeah. Now, you know, it's like, cause even after every interaction I have, even when I'm done, I still need five, 10 minutes to kind of go through it. Cause I want to get everything that I can out of what the person said. Right. But you know, it's important also Dion for me. And I, you know, I suggest for others, it's important to fill your time with, you know, with activity, mm -hmm. but also to be able to spend time with yourself. Yes. In quiet contemplation. Mm -hmm. And that takes practice. And I know when I started that, I, I felt kind of silly. Well, but, you know, I feel kind of silly when I was drunk all the time. So it's not like that. Mad. Hey, but it's just me and God. I can feel that's silly 11th, there. See, that's 11th step work. Yeah. And you can do that at any time. But I've certainly enjoyed being here with you and your audience today. Absolutely. Well, Mary, it's been a it's been a joy to get to know you. Um and I do appreciate that. And, you know, let's kind of end with what, what you were just talking about is even over this last hour, I felt like it was an hour well spent for me. And I feel great about it. Um, and I think that's something that, you know, I'm going to take away from this. Um, another way to be able to focus on what my intentions are you know, for the day, you know, is my time spent wisely or am I just wallowing it away? Um, I, I, I tend to not watch a lot of television. Yeah. Um, there's so many activities to help avoid. Yeah. Well, there's a good and chance I'll put on music before I turn, turn on the TV. Yeah, I, I do that a lot for background. Mm-hmm. Yeah. To, the, there's, there's a Buddhist principle that I try to practice is being full with uncertainty. Mm-hmm. When things aren't lined out. Yeah. It helps me to stay in a given moment on a particular day yeah and and helps relieve my fear of the future mm -hmm. because i do suffer I, I, the truth is dion i suffer quite regularly in this program yeah with with existential angst mm -hmm. yeah i i get that <laughs> and, and that's, that's why i try to be honest to give people other people permission to be honest and as well and not pretend they're getting the the program when we're not. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I'm not one person. I'm not a. There's some some oh. phrases that scare me. Like I think I got it. I have this licked. Things like that. Um, that scares me coming from a newcomer because old timers don't say that. We know that. Nope. I'm just an arm length away from a drink, just like everybody else. Right. Um, the only difference is when you woke up this morning. Yeah, see, I, I agree with that. 
Because we're and we're all children of God. And I think that that's where the, the, the power of the fellowship lies mm -hmm. in, in the common shared experience. For example, when, when I had got my first year coin, my parents came to the wow. meeting. Good. And and my dad asked me after the meeting was over, he said, so this means you're never going to drink again, right? <laughs> and I said, I'm not going to drink today, dad. Yeah. And he's like, he didn't, he's like, what do you mean you're not you're going to drink tomorrow? <laughs> he didn't understand the concept. Yeah, yeah. That, I, that could probably be kind of frustrating. Of how we do this one day at a time. Yeah. It's a concept that you kind of have to go through before you really, I mean, people can understand the concept, but they don't really know what it's like till you actually experience. It's like true happiness. I can't describe it to you. It is undescribable. You have to feel it for yourself or you're never going to know. Right. Very good so. point. And Mary, I really appreciate you taking, I, cause I know you're busy. Um, and I, I'm wow. You know, that's why I, I love podcasting because I always come out learning something. Um, well, I, and I, I get a great joy of getting to know people. Go ahead. Everyone has a story to tell and mm -hmm. our stories matter. Yep. That's, and that's exactly why I do what I do and why I created a safe space so that anybody could have a chance to come on and tell their truth, man. That's okay. Um, it's just you and me and, and, and we can talk about it and get it off our chest. But I always found that when I start talking the truth, it, it, that fear loses its power and that i can stand through this and i can be brave and i can get to the other side to find out that i had more courage than i thought i did yeah. you know uh, that, that 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 that'll be my closing quote for you and your readers you got marcus, it go. marcus aurelius the roman emperor who mm -hmm. was also a stoic mm -hmm. defined courage not as the absence of fear but as the ability to take action in spite of the fear. I love it. Great place to end. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Thank you for being here. Um, stick around, listen to the next story. Uh, remember, our podcast do run off of your donation, so please hit that uh, Donate Now button. And uh, if you could throw a couple dollars at us, we would appreciate it. It just kind of keeps us going. So, Mary, thank you again for being here. Um, and, uh, to my audience, once again, I love you guys. I love you so much. And I appreciate everything that, uh, you do. Um, so let's go out with my tagline. Um, I love you guys. Peace out and have a day. <laughs>